I was always like a systems person, right? So it wasn't necessarily that I would do or not do medicine directly. Although there's, you know, different points in my life. You asked me, what am I going to do? The answer was anything but medicine. Um, but it, for the most part, it was really more of a systems approach. Like, how can I fix the systems that are there? Does that mean that I can go into a policy and study policy to help address like the, uh, you know, underlying uh, regulations and policy that address medicine, which is my family? Does it mean that I can fix the issues in different ways, like think about global health and have that kind of impact? You know, I've worked in like Israel, Uganda, U.S., and, and onwards within the health, in Peru, within the health systems. And so I have that kind of understanding of the health systems. Yeah, on a scale of one to 10, how fond are you of avocados? I mean, you named your digital health company off the fruit. So I'm assuming, well, it's a fruit. So I'm, I'm going with an over under of about seven, at least. Uh, it's, I would give it an 11, just uh, an 11. to be conservative. All right. All right. I think um, I, I won't disagree with that. But the fact that it's overpriced at Subway, uh, you know, knocks down a couple points. But listeners, welcome to How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with people shaping the future of health tech and med tech. My name is Jeff. And today we're chatting with the co-founder and CEO of AvoMD, uh, internist and ukulele player himself, Dr. Yair Saperstein. How are you doing, Yair? Excellent. It's a pleasure to be here. What's up with you? What's going on? Uh, I, I chatted like a couple months ago and things have gotten in the way, but what, what's, what's going on in the past couple months? Past couple months. Um, so we have added on a lot more societies to our, uh, uh partnership, uh, you know, content partners. Uh, so we now have, uh, AAFP, AHA, KDGO, um, so, and many others, you know, expanded into different specialties as well within endocrine, uh, and others. So that we're really able to serve the needs of our users across those different specialties. You know, we cover primary care with the AFP ones, uh, as well as hypertension, um, you know, from the AHA. So everything that you now need uh, to be there present is something relevant off the shelf to guide you as the clinician through your uh, management and diagnosis uh, pathways are now available. Anything that's not, we still have the builder. The builder has now been revamped so that it's even easier to use. We have clients that are now really building on their own to create their own custom pathways and be able to integrate it. Um, and then talking about integration, we are now uh, live and publicly listed uh, in the Epic App marketplace. Um, and so for any and all users that want to uh, use us within Epic, we are, we are in other uh, EHRs as well. Uh, but for those who are in Epic, it's super easy now. You can just download it from the marketplace um, to be able to use it. So those are the, some of the biggest advances that we've had since the last time that we spoke. So TLDR, you're making it easier for physicians and healthcare, I guess, uh, authorities and districts to help themselves and, I guess, spend more time uh, practicing for the benefit of patients instead of just filling in paperwork. You got it. It's... Uh, automate the processes that are uh, more difficult to be able to spend more time with your patient actually at the bedside and do it more properly. Gotcha. So way back when we first chatted, you had mentioned to me that you grew up in a family of physicians. I can't imagine what that's like, the expectations and all the, all the banter that goes back and forth. But tell me about the worst and best parts of that experience and how that shaped who you are. 
worst and best parts, uh, feeling each other's uh, hands and wrists and arms to try to figure out where we would stick a needle in uh, if we had to stick in a needle and could you do it with your eyes closed and possibly test it. Yeah, uh, things that you do as a kid, not always the, the smartest. Not recommended, don't try it at home. My mom's an anesthesiologist. My dad's an endocrinologist. So, you know, it uh, really came in there at the dinner table. Sometimes we would just talk about hormones and what happens if they go awry. And, uh, you know, you can grow up with uh, different conditions and what that's like. So super fascinating, you know, really opened your eyes. But as a kid, when you're hearing these things and you go around, you're like, well, I wonder if, you know, that condition's going on with that person is uh, always something that uh, over time becomes something which allows for sensitivity. And it's like, well, now I can really think about it and really address it, you know, think about these on a system level. But as a kid, not, a, not exactly like that. It's more like, oh, no, do I have this condition? Do you have that condition? Like, what's going on there? Uh, in a way that uh, sometimes that uh, more doctors speak than your average uh, average hypochondriac. That's fair enough. And I guess, given all that familial context, did you try to rebel and go against the green and step away from medicine? Or were you like, this is, this is what I was born into. This is, this is what I need to get into to fit into my family. I was always like a systems person, right? So it wasn't necessarily that I would do or not do medicine directly. Although there's, you know, different points in my life. You asked me, what am I going to do? The answer was anything but medicine. Um, but it, for the most part, it was really more of a systems approach. Like, how can I fix the systems that are there? Does that mean that I can go into a policy and study policy to help address like the, uh, you know, underlying uh, regulations and policy that address medicine, which is my family? Does it mean that I can fix the issues in different ways, like think about global health and have that kind of impact? You know, I've worked in like Israel, Uganda, U.S., and, and onwards within the health, in Peru, within the health systems. And so I have that kind of understanding of the health systems. And so it was like, wherever it would be, there would be some kind of system addressing within the medical system and how it would affect it because it was something that's personal. Not necessarily that I would go into med school and take the physician track to understand it until it's like, can't fix the system until I understand it more deeply. I got to experience it. I got to see it. I got to feel it. I got to do it. So, you know, that, that kind of led to that path. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to fast forward a couple of years, like you've now like finished, um, your MD, you're done your residency and you ended up doing your MPH as well, which fits along exactly with what you're saying. But way back when, before you started all of that education, what were your first glimpses or attempts at building or understanding systems? Because I don't think that it's necessarily something that happens overnight, rather like you try and you fail or you try and succeed and you get hooked on it, right? Yeah. So for me, let's see, in uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, it's always like involved in a how can I help kind of a way. So not a, oh, I fix systems, therefore let me try to be involved to fix systems. More like, well, anything needs to be done, call on me. Let me see how I can help. So that meant like, you know, being involved in school clubs and then progressing like within my community. Like I uh, always read the Bible um, for the community as a way of giving back. You know, how can I serve? Um, fast forward a little bit more and in college started two nonprofits. Uh, one start science, the other it's teach, teach for kids. And both of them, you know, co-founded both of them, took them to international scale, ran them, 
And they both started as sort of like something that just fell out, right? It was like, oh, there's a need. One of them was, there's a need for more science teachers in an elementary school that had a lab, but didn't have science teachers. I can go. Some of my friends can go. Sent down an email, like, who else wants to volunteer with me? It's got 70 replies. Like, all right, how do we turn this into a program that we can actually serve and give back? And through those experiences, it's like, oh, wow, there's a way of really influencing and structuring systems that allow for overall improvement by thinking about underlying roots and how to solve it rather than just this one individual problem. It's not just, oh, I can go, it's me and my friends can go and teach and set up a uh, like programmatic structure that allows for us to constantly teach science courses that was in one school and then five schools out of our college and then across colleges and then across the U.S. and then across the U.S. and Canada and then, uh, you know, to a couple more countries and so on and so forth in a way that uh, became scalable. So that was like the first part. And so by the time I hit med school, uh, where we really started the second nonprofit and was doing more global health work and being involved from the system side on those and then approaching residency, it's like, well, you know, there's all these different problems that are going on here in residency too that are like systemic. It's not something specific to this one residency program I was in. It's something which is about medicine. What can I do to help in a way that doesn't just solve my own need, but can also think about, well, I got all my friends too. How can we work on something together? So what you're saying is that uh, because, well, I, I, I've noticed it, uh, that a lot, of, a lot of students who enter med school now have founded nonprofit or other, but you're the person who brought that entire trend on and to blame for it being to, to being so hard to get into med school now, right? Trendsetter, trendsetter. Thank you. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it on purpose. That uh, it okay. really fell out. Not as a uh, not as a nonprofit that we started, but really as a program that only became a nonprofit once I was in med school. Uh, mm -hmm. so it's a way to take it further. So I didn't start that trend of starting a nonprofit before med school or making that hard. It was it was an accident. All right, I'll, I'll I'll try to I'll try to take you at your word, but I'll. Uh... <laughs> Well, we'll keep going. Um, so, I mean, med school, as you said, apparently wasn't busy enough for you. You ended up founding Teach to engage kids in hospitals with science. Um, I mean, how did this initially start? You, you mentioned that you want to create a system so that, you know, you'd have a mechanism to keep being involved in this. But how did it first start? What was the seat? Uh, so I had a friend who actually pitched the idea to me and... Um... You know, I had already figured out how to build some of these systems by engaging different stakeholders that I was conversing with. So I was in the hospital, um, you know, speaking with some of these people and I pitched the idea to them and they were like, yeah, let, let's go for it. Let's do it. That started at one hospital and in the inpatient playroom where we can basically send med school volunteers in to do hands-on science experiments and kind of guide these experiments so that the kids could, uh, you know, build, uh, you know, milk fireworks or roller coasters to understand like more about potential and, uh, uh, potential energy and how it translates into kinetic energy. And it's like, all the stuff is just hands-on fun where, you know, it's like more recreation really than education, but it has this educational side to it so that it's, uh, it allows for that connection in a way that's positive. Honestly, I'm just thinking about milk fireworks. How did that look like? <laughs> That's awesome. Check out, check it out online, Milk Fireworks, and see if you can build it right up or during this call. I don't know. I mean, I got to pay attention to what you're saying. That's that's just good interview etiquette. But I mean, okay, so on top, um, I guess on top of uh, running, uh, you know, teach and start science, 
you ended up choosing a, uh, I mean, I guess you didn't end up choosing residency straight out as your first choice, did you? You, you went through med school, you ran all these nonprofits, but last time we chatted, you had mentioned that there was a bit of a conundrum as to what you wanted to do after med school exactly, because you knew that it wasn't necessarily the direct path or the only direct path because you saw that there are other opportunities beyond just going from an MD into a specialty of your choice. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of exploration. I actually interviewed for a biopharma company, um, you know, as part of that path, thinking, uh, gave some thought to staying overseas and, uh, you know, continuing to work overseas, um, within global health, but just from the medical training before, um, before internship or instead of internship. And I gave a lot of thought also to like policy, uh, ended up doing the MPH, um, along with that track of going through, uh, you know, formal training for internship and residency. But I thought about that as an alternate, um, and then gave a little bit of thought, but didn't really explore it at the time, the business world. And, you know, it's funny that that's where it ended up, but thought about the VC world and, you know, entering that with the ability to engage with a lot of different startups and a lot of different ideas and see what I could do to help. But I had had no business training or thought at that time. Um, so it was really something which was un more unfamiliar and a harder jump uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that time, you'd already done some work with nonprofits as well as, I mean, you had mentioned to me at least some research work uh, in your undergrad, which lent itself well to at least a step off into biopharma. I'm kind of interested in that, you know, possible uh, step towards biopharma. That's not necessarily something that I'd expect someone straight out of med school to go for. Uh, could you tell us more about, you know, that thought process, what you went through um, and why you ended up not choosing that as the option to go down and instead chose residency? Yeah, I got a recruitment email uh, from this pharma company that uh, they're looking for somebody that understands the research side of medicine plus pharma would be able to understand phase three, phase four clinical trials, uh, their implications, if it would be worth it to pursue those medications and to add them to the portfolio, but who also has the ability not just to understand it, but to call them, have a conversation with them, give them an offer buy their pharmaceutical and the rights to it as part of that. And it sounded super engaging, you know, it's like, can use the science part of the brain, can use the business part of the brain, of the brain and learn something more. Um, so it was really appealing. And uh, that was definitely a strong consideration. Um, I decided in the end that I didn't want to get stuck within that position without having different options and different understanding. And that in order to do that, I would rather complete the trail, even as I'm doing different aspects of this engaged learning, right? So it's like, I always think about what can I learn as I do different parts over here. It was like, well, what can I do? I'll definitely learn a lot more, but am I losing an aspect of my learning if I stop this path too short? Um, it was a tough decision, but that, that was why I decided against it at that time. Um, and to continue with internship residency with the MPH so I could keep expanding the learning aspect of, all right, well, I'm even more interested in policy, even more interested in like governance and how that works. I can still learn that as I do this path. So I can do the hands-on aspect of what medicine really is to practice, which I didn't do as much in med school because as a med student, when you're rotating, you have some of that in third year and fourth year, but as an intern and resident, you really have it more. Mm -hmm. What 
perspective did the MPH give you that residency and med school didn't? Uh, very much uh, contrast between uh, a patient who was uh, showed up in the ER and said, my doctor told me to come to the ER because that's the only way that I can get my MRI because otherwise insurance won't cover it. And the MPH, uh, well, we need to set up structure to allow for our ballooning healthcare costs to not be ballooning by having everybody uh, informed and these measures tracked um, so that everyone is engaged and won't be doing this. And I'm in the middle of it. I'm learning from these attendings what to do, right? And there are certain cases for it. And then on the other side, it's like learning from the MPH program of what we should do. But you need to cross that bridge and bring the two together. And so it's really cool to have both of them at the same time, like bring discussions from one into the other in a way that was practical and, you know, hands-on common sense when you're in practice. And on the other side, like the intellectual thoughts of policy and where we're going to go with it informed by the, like what's actually happening on the ground. So it's, it was super. Yeah. And I mean, just uh, to have both those perspectives as you closed up your residency, when COVID started must have been a really interesting time, eh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, COVID, COVID was war. COVID was war. So I was, uh, I was the chief resident during COVID, like in charge of like 400 providers, their schedules, orienting them to what's happening, making sure that they got masks, um, setting up like a student group that would be able to call family members um, to keep them informed of what was happening. It was like, it was an emergency, right? So you have to do what you, there, there was no more like, well, you know, this person is not trained for it and therefore they shouldn't do it. It's like anybody that you can bring in to be able to help should work. Bring in the pediatricians and the ortho guys to help out in internal medicine because there's too many patients. But how do I teach them what they need to know as the chief resident who's the liaison for that part? So it was like, really thinking about the practical with the, well, what should we do on an intellectual setting? It's like, well, we got today to figure it out. I guess, what were the longstanding ramifications of that all out, quote, like essentially war effort? Because yeah, you're right. You're absolutely deploying resources that uh, like in settings that otherwise would not be deployed in those settings. For example, an orthopod in ICU, right? So right. like, ha ha has there been any, I guess, leftover change or I guess, have there been any leftover ramifications of implementation of such policies? And have there been any lessons that have been taken away by medicine units in uh, and why, like in, in New York that you've seen so far? I mean, for me, like when I finished up my chief residency period at Kings County as part of the downstate uh, program, I then went to Mount Sinai in a um, like part-time nocturnist role. So I really didn't see so much of what happened after was still in touch with uh, some of my war comrades, um, you know, as uh, you always stick with your army buddies um, to find out, well, what's happening now? You know, how's it going? What what kind of fallout is there? And how are people still together? Like, uh, you know, th there's obviously a difference, but I remember thinking at the time, like New York strong after 9-11. It's like everyone comes together. That's, that's what happened. It was like everyone hmm. came together. How do you pull it off successfully together? that was eye-opening. It was like, wow, everyone's here to help. Cool. Like, let's mm -hmm. do it. Um, on a personal way, you know, it helped frame my thoughts on how can you ensure that there's up-to-date information in a way that is usable practically 
by whoever needs to use it. And that helped color some of what we're doing at Avo. Dude, you set up the segue, but I was going to ask another question. So I'll ask the question first and then I'll segue. Um, so, I mean, like other than, other than your like work during the COVID-19 response, what was the, what was the, I guess, achievement that you were most proud of during your residency? Cause I know that there was quite a bit that you accomplished during that time. Let's see achievement. I'd say top three, um, is number one, setting up the wellness committee for the internal medicine program, which eventually became a, the university wellness committee. Um, to be able to give the residents a voice and included in that is residency newsletter, being able to have a written voice, a way to come together, a way to engage with the administration and actually get funding for what it, the programs were that we wanted to do. And the administration was super responsive to it. So, you know, it's, I think I'm proud of being able to get everybody together to accomplish that. That's one. Second was, uh, during chief residency year, uh, epic implementation. So I was the informatics liaison from the resident side for the epic implementation, meaning I wrote note templates, uh, that became the standard and, you know, really had uh, a hand in and also over here, it's like very proud of my contribution to it and really grateful to the CMIO of Kings County and to everybody else for teaching me along that path, um, as, as it continued. And then the third is really COVID and the COVID efforts and being able to figure out again with everybody else, how to, um, come up with a schedule that worked. Like we shifted it into eight hour schedules because people were getting burnt out from the 12 hours and how to revamp really all the systems that we did in a way that could function, how to set up things in advance, like installing baby monitors when we saw that COVID was really coming so that people didn't have to go into the rooms and get themselves sick or establishing, I think we were the first work from home program ever established for physicians, uh, in this way, uh, over at Kings County and downstate. And, um, you know, the first to set up, how can you be a part of the team and help out in a way that's remote, um, so that we have people that aren't sick, that can still contribute to the efforts that we were doing. So thinking through those and actually setting them up is, I guess, my third, uh, proud achievement together with the teams that were there. I mean. Items one and three were either directly or mildly indirectly linked to wellness. Why is wellness and like well-being of physicians, healthcare providers such an important aspect or why was it such an important aspect of your residency activities? You've seen the news like physicians get burnt out, uh, sure. doctors, co doctors commit suicide, nurses do also like it's not when you're, when you're in it and you get it, it's like, it's not the best culture, you know, the practical clinical medicine is really not the best culture. And so it's like, you don't want to be a part of that culture and get sucked into it. And you don't want to be removed from it. You want to change it into something which is positive. And that can mean many different things. It could be like having a smile, right? It could be installing wellness light so that people don't get seasonal affective disorder. It can be like establishing a suicide hotline for when it is too late. It could be setting up trips that you can go skiing together as a group so that you can bond together with everybody else. It's like, there's a lot of different aspects to it. And some of it, like we were learning, you know, we were, we were one of the first to, uh, do it back in the day. And it's like, it's just from the feeling, like you want to be able to help and support everybody. So how do you do that? Yeah, that's fair enough. I think that there's, there's plenty of reasons why, 
um, that should or those activities should have been focused. And I think that a lot of the residents, the healthcare workers overall, probably are super thankful for, I mean, all that you did during that time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.